0: In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend Jonah Pregman. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Jonah about his career in flight nursing from the U.S. to nearly every continent on the globe. Jonah has advice and insight packed and ready to go. This episode is called "Where in the World Is Jonah."
1: Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael.
2: Hello, Holly.
1: Glad you could be with us today. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Jonah Pregleman. Jonah is an emergency flight and transport nurse who has embraced the challenges of nursing in places most of us only know from dots on a map of the world. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Jonah?
2: Yes, Holly, I'd be happy to introduce you to Jonah. I've known Jonah for a while through item writing at BCEN. He's part of the CFRN group. Jonah has been a nurse since 2016, having initially obtained his bachelor's degree from Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio. He earned his master's degree from Capella University with a specialization in informatics in 2020. He specializes in emergency, flight, and critical care transport, and he has achieved all five BCEN certifications. He's also a nationally registered paramedic with a variety of EMS experience spanning over 10 years, and his work includes various exotic locations such as Guam, Hawaii, Antarctica, and other international locations. Jonah, you are an extremely well-traveled and experienced nurse, and it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me, Michael and Holly.
2: Yeah, so I don't know if you went into nursing school just deciding that you wanted to travel the world or what your original goal was, but tell us a little bit about why you became a nurse and a little bit more about where this journey has led you.
0: Yeah, I actually didn't know anything about traveling as a nurse when I got into nursing. I actually thought I wanted to be a nurse practitioner, and look where that got me. I got into nursing um, after being uh, an EMT in high school and, uh, figuring out I wanted to go further, uh, than just the EMT basic level and, uh, got into this traveling and going to exotic places after, after talking with a coworker, uh, who was a travel nurse. Um, I thought it was really cool. She drove a really nice car and I had no idea how she afforded it. And she was like, Oh, have you heard of this cool thing called travel nursing? Uh, And it just kind of got me started looking at cool locations and talking to people that have been to all these cool places.
2: So tell me a little bit about where you came into this role of flight nursing, because you, like I mentioned, you're on the CFRN group. So what kind of started you into the flight nursing realm?
0: Yeah, so uh, actually during my EMT training, we had a helicopter land as a part of our uh, clinical experience training. And I thought that that was the coolest job ever. Uh, and kind of always had that in the back of my mind as something I wanted to do. And uh, first got into flight nursing, uh, doing long, longer distance transport on jets, um, doing like one to nine hour um, transfers, and then transitioned over to shorter term fixed wing in California. Uh, and then I've been doing um, small roles doing flight nursing most recently in Antarctica.
1: Wow! So. EMT, nursing, flight nursing, Antarctica. Okay. So what places outside of the continental U.S. have you worked, Jonah? Like, where have you been?
0: So I've worked uh, my first ever outside the continental U.S. was Hawaii. Uh, still probably my favorite travel nurse assignment to date. Um, just such welcoming people, community, uh, and walking outside of the ER doors to see palm trees and smelling the ocean was just great for on uh, your 15-minute breaks um and then i've also been to guam similar um similar community feel um islands which is great um and then uh i've also was in alaska in nursing school in a little town called bethel um it was a little colder there um i was there during the winter uh and then most recently my coldest location yet antarctica um and then i've also traveled to various countries for flight nursing usually not spending much time there, but uh, uh, Italy and Canada, Mexico uh, being the ones that come to mind.
2: <laughs> the, the places sound interesting, but obviously at the center of all this travel is the healthcare and taking care of patients. And so when you think of all these different places that you've worked and uh, the trips that you've made without, you know, obviously going into any, personal health information of anything. Is there any examples of some of these types of patients you've taken care of or some of the logistics you've even had to face just transporting patients around international boundaries and things?
0: Absolutely. It definitely increases a lot of logistics, The I mean, just bringing your medication across borders. Um, I got some very interesting looks from New Zealand uh, customs. Uh, when, you know, you check that little box, that says, are you bringing anything across the country? Yes. I'm like, what do you have? I'm like, well, I've got ketamine, I've got propofol, I've got fentanyl, I've got morphine. And they're like, What do you plan on doing with that while you're here in our country? And why do you have this? And the craziest part is they didn't even ask to see it. They just took my word for it. And I walked straight through customs. Um, they were more concerned about the food I had in my bag uh, than the drugs I had in my pocket. Um, but just the coordination of um, getting fit to fly, getting people approved. Luckily I've um, mostly worked with companies and organizations that take care of that part for me, but just thinking about like, what can you bring? What can you bring and bring an apple in their bag? Did they pack their lunch? And are you going to get stopped through customs? Um, All those kind of things. Um, Is your credit card going to work? We stopped in, Mexico one time for one of the companies I worked for, and our credit card got declined. Um, and our, we got detained for a few hours because we couldn't pay for the fuel for our aircraft because uh, we didn't have any other way to pay it. So we got stuck on the tarmac in a very nice, very nice um, building. But still, we weren't allowed to leave. And we had uh, police with weapons at the entrances until our company could figure out how to pay for our fuel to get us to leave.
2: Wow. So what types of patients have you had to transfer over? What medical conditions did these patients have that required this kind of transport? Is it mostly critical care? Is it a lot of it like uh, um, more of a, a medical situation that arose and then they just wanted to be closer to home? Is it kind of a combination?
0: So it is, it's definitely a combination. A lot of the international stuff is reparation patients. They get injured abroad get stabilized there and then want to continue their care back home. Um, in Antarctica, it was more of stabilize and transport. We only had x-ray and ultrasound. Uh, so pretty much anything in the belly um, was really hard to differentiate um, anything in the head. We couldn't do a head CT to rule out a bleed or anything like that. Um, so we, you know, I had to transport patients sometimes just for a CT scan. So patients you wouldn't dream of flying nine hours and spinning up a multi, I don't even wanna know how much some of these missions cost. Um, uh, Definitely hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm sure. Um, You would never dream of doing that in the States, but in Antarctica, you have no choice because you don't have the ability to say, is this headache, a head bleed, or do they just have a migraine? And there's really no way to know unless you send them out for a scan.
2: So what were, so did you mainly work just transport only in Antarctica? Did you work a combination of transport and emergency? Like, did you work in a hospital setting there as well? Or what was kind of the, walk us through the, the role of what you did?
0: So, I mean, I definitely would put hospital in quotation marks. Uh, it was about a four-ish bed. We had two trauma beds and three and a half inpatient beds. Um, and the majority, um, I staffed the clinic most days. Um, as one of two nurses, we had one nurse administrator and then me being the other nurse. Um, And, uh, you know, it was always my joke that I was the best critical care nurse on the continent uh, because I was the only critical care nurse on the continent. Um, And the uh, staff, the clinic in most days, it was really simple clinic stuff. It was upper respiratory infections. We had COVID, um, we had the flu, we had um, strep throat, we had urinary tract infections, we had, just the normal stuff that you would see for a doctor's office. And then every now and again, we'd have trauma from work injuries. Trip trip and falls were the most common cause for trauma, um, actually. And then random, you know, uh, uh, I think we had one or two um, exposures to like uh, hazardous materials like uh, fire extinguisher foam or something like that, that would just spice up the day. And then some days we saw no patients. Uh, and then other days we had a COVID shot clinic uh, since the bivalent COVID vaccination came out. Well, most of us were down there, they shifted down. down. Um, so I got to see the logistics of sending a vaccine at negative 50 from, uh, I believe it was Texas all the way down to uh, Antarctica. I'd see the daily email of where it was um, and all the checks
2: for that. So with working in Antarctica, with working um in Guam and, uh, you mentioned Mexico, other places, what would be in your opinion, probably the most extreme healthcare situation you've had to deal with?
0: Um, I think it's mostly the weather. Um, obviously everything becomes more complicated, with the weather, I can think of one medevac that, um, it was 20, 30 mile or not. I'm not sure the, um, uh, designation mile an hour winds. Um, and it's, three o'clock in the morning. Um, It's sunny because it's always, the sun is always up, Um, but I have the extreme boots on. I have two pairs of socks on, I have uh, long underwear, um, snow pants, three jackets, and I'm still freezing, trying to load a patient into the back of a C-130, which doesn't have any heat uh, until it starts, starts up and the entire back is open. So we're trying to figure out how to load the patient, set up the litter, um, set up the monitoring equipment. Meanwhile, you have to worry about things you don't normally have to worry about. Is my IV line going to freeze? Is my patient's, um, IV going to freeze? Um, can I see my patient's face while well, I have to cover their face to keep them warm? Are they too warm? Uh, is all this stuff that we have, uh, making them too warm? Uh, can I access anything if there was an emergency? Probably not. Um, So you have to really think about how you're setting up your monitor and your IVs before you get there. Um, And then making sure that your patient stays at a comfortable temperature. Um, While you're trying to stay at a comfortable temperature, you take off your gloves and your hands are numb. You definitely aren't going to do anything dexterous with your hands after that. Um, And so just having, thinking ahead for bringing hand warmers and all those kind of things uh, are stuff you don't really usually think about
1: you have had a lot of different experiences and what you maybe didn't know, you had a lot of chances to kind of learn as you went. And then also when you learned that in one place, then you took it to somewhere else. You know, like I I feel like you've constantly shown what it is to be a lifelong learner. And that is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you, why do you feel it's important to be a lifelong learner? And I think just listening to your journey in nursing, I see how it's very evident that you have continued to learn. Not only do you have all five of the certifications that BCN offers, but you've had all these different different experiences where you've nursed in very extreme and very different healthcare realms. So Tell me, why do you feel it's important to be a lifelong learner, Jonah?
0: Sure. I think that just the fact that we want the best outcome for our patients, uh, medicine changes weekly, daily, hourly, yearly, and every, I mean, just recertifying your basic certifications, things change. And we have new evidence, new medicines, new ways of doing things that increase our patients' outcomes, make them more comfortable, make medicine more cost-effective. Um, And we found out some of the things we were doing were actually harmful to patients. So keeping up to date, making sure that we're not doing those things anymore and that we're doing the most up-to-date science. And um, you mentioned uh, all five of the BCN certifications. I uh, did them partly because it gave me the motivation to study for them. And every time I studied for them, I found something new. I learned new information. Pediatrics wasn't really my uh, number one specialty, but studying for it definitely helped me um, with my pediatric patients. Um, and I know that we have the burn certification coming out soon and I'm excited to study for that and learn, um, some more about burns. I mean, I work with burns, but I doubt I would be able to pass the test without, uh, doing some studying and, uh, research on that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Holly, I mean, I had worked for a ski resort in the past, uh, in Utah. And so I got to bring some of those lessons learned, um, to my job in Antarctica. It wasn't quite as cold, but it was pretty, pretty darn similar. Um, I definitely prefer the boots I got in Antarctica versus ski boots. Um, uh, although they weren't that much more comfortable.
1: I'm going to be honest, Jonah, a part of me is like super curious as to like what your closet looks like. I mean, you've gone from Hawaii to Antarctica. I feel like it's so varied as to what is hanging <laughs> in your closet right now. A few I- flip-flops
0: like (laughs) I definitely did bring flip-flops to Antarctica mostly because uh, they advertised that they have a um, sauna but unfortunately they had to shut it down uh, due to maintenance issues my entire time there so I was very disappointed that there was no sauna Um, but they did get good use uh, in New Zealand um, uh, which is the hub for Antarctica and so it was summer uh, all these things I've been telling you is the summer of Antarctica. The winter they don't do medevacs because it's too cold. The planes can't land. Um, it's just too cold. Uh, so they pretty much, if you're there in the in the winter, you're stuck, which is our summer because uh, it's the opposite uh, end of the world.
2: <laughs> I can't. I still can't believe you took flip flops to Antarctica. But hey, it <laughs> out for you, That's great.
0: Also, community showers. So I've got to wear the flip flops in the shower. No, no, none of that for me.
2: Yeah, that that's true. Good point. So uh, Jonah, we always like to ask this question of everybody on the podcast um, because we get so many very interesting and gracious responses on these. But is there a person, whether it's a an instructor, a family member, a patient, some person or some moment in your career that's really made an impact on you as a professional?
0: Yeah, I think um, going back to what I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, when the flight nurse and flight medic landed um, during my EMT class, and we're talking about what they do and um, their job and their day-to-day, I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever. And the coolest job that anyone could have would be to fly around in your own personal helicopter, land, do everything that they do in the hospital pretty much, and then take them back to the hospital. Um, And just maybe it was because I was 18, but seeing these professionals, um, I mean, gotta lie, the flight suit, you know, looks great always nice to have flight suit and helmet. And uh, unfortunately, they did take a few people up for ride alongs. I never got chosen for that. And so maybe a part of me was like, I'm going to do that. But that's gonna be my job. Uh, And I'm gonna be able to go up uh, in the helicopter airplane. So I think that was one of the moments in my career very early that I decided that that was something I really wanted to do.
1: Yeah, the flight suit helps. I mean, it was one of the reasons that I was like, man, maybe I want to do that. It's a really cool outfit. Um,
0: Plug for BCEN
2: flight suit.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to my director.
2: Jonah's Jonah works hard to to brand a lot of things, but I I don't know that we've had any requests for a BCEN flight suit before.
1: Now, now we have two. Me and Jonah. BCEN
0: food. BCEN jackets, and everything.
1: Light suit, you know, I'm going to put that in that that box that we have for really great ideas that will eventually get taken into consideration. I'm going to drop that one (laughs) there for us, Jonah. All right. Well, I do have a few rapid fire questions. And again, this is just to get to know you a little bit better. What would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So if you could do anything, what would you do?
0: So I guess Nursing-wise, um, I've always been really interested in devices, um, technology, and healthcare—all those cool things that we do that um, are cutting edge, that helps our patients. Um, but if I was to throw nursing out the window, I'd probably be on some beach working as a scuba instructor. Nice. Um, if money was no object and I could live anywhere, I'd just see myself living in Bali or somewhere similar. Um, just hanging out on the beach going scuba diving every day.
1: That sounds fantastic. Okay um, I'm going to ask you another random but good question. Do you have a, like a good book re- recommendation or what are you currently reading right now?
0: So right now um, I'm reading books from a Kickstarter from one of my um, authors I write to read from Brandon Sanderson. Um, he has a Kickstarter I think it was the most successful Kickstarter ever actually um, and so he has secret books. I have no idea what they're about, but usually he's fantasy type reading. Um, and so I always like those. I drive a lot and take a lot of long plane flights. Uh, so i like to have audiobooks for my, uh, uh, flights back, uh, in Antarctica, it was a nine hour one. And so coming back without the patient, I needed something to do. There is no in-flight movies on a military aircraft. Unfortunately, there's no in-flight snacks either. Unfortunately,
1: I tell you what, I yeah, mean, you got to flight... pack your own. Yeah. It's a good thing that that's the only option you had, because I'm sure you would have picked the one with the in-flight movies and the snacks. Right. But
0: yes, the first class, seat, the, the in-flight champagne and the frequent flyer miles.
1: Mm. We're going to, we're going to chalk that up to hashtag in Arfa. you know, like you're, that's, that's all you had. So, okay. Comfort food or a meal that you really enjoy.
0: Ooh, um, I really like Thai food. Um, Vegetarian. So all the vegetarian versions, I throw out the fish sauce, but love some Thai food or um, pretty much anything with cheese. Love cheese.
1: (laughs) not going to lie. I'm a big cheese fan. I love like, like don't get too weird on the cheeses. Like once you throw in like a lot of like fruits and weird textures that I might like tap out, but I pretty much will try almost any cheese, which is the most adventurous I will usually eat. So
0: if you open up a BC and Switzerland, I will be the first to go.
1: Ooh, okay. Another good recommendation. Flight <laughs> suits Switzerland. <laughs> hey.
0: I mean, I, I don't really speak them. the language, but I think I know a great, um, you know, we could have Michael as our director down there. I could be the the head of snacking. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't be a DCN podcast if I didn't have a snack.
2: We we can start having a multilingual podcast if that helps, Jonah. Maybe we can get a little bit more interest in that region.
0: I wish I was more fluent in other languages. My Spanish is not great um, and my other languages are non-existent.
1: I'm with you on that. We'll probably have to start researching how to speak in Switzerland.
0: <laughs> Just English speaking countries.
1: Well, you know. What's what Google, Uh, isn't it like, um, Google Translate or whatever?
0: Google Translate let me down a lot in Japan. I feel like it just did not work. (laughs) I got, I got by a lot better with pantomiming and pointing.
1: Oh yes. My miming skills are on point. (laughs) All right. What other hobbies do you have or what would you say is kind of your self-care
0: go-to? Um, I guess like hobbies, uh, I mean, surprisingly, I love to travel. Um, so Antarctica was continent six of seven. Uh, so hopefully this year I can make all seven by visiting South America. I um, uh, just love finding like deals and credit card points and finding, you know, all the best deals to get all the places so you don't spend a fortune. Um, and then, I guess self-care, like cheese, napping, cheese, bread, <laughs> all the things that aren't healthy for you, but- love them um and uh, honestly just an afternoon nap right now i'm on night shift and i've been loving the uh, nap time i'm not
1: mad of, i'm not mad of anything that you just said naps cheese and travel right there mm-hmm.
2: well jonah i'm still sitting here trying to think of the uh switzerland branch of bcen so thank you for...
0: <laughs> i'm glad i've given you a lot of things to think about uh, and bring to whoever makes the decisions with BCEN. Um, I mean,
2: they're, they're part German speaking, part French speaking. So it kind of depend on what of Switzerland we put it in. But yeah, I, th- I think we can make this happen.
0: Okay. I, <clears> sign <throat> me up. You know, I'm, my, Just, my schedule is open. And maybe, you know, we could get a private plane to transport patients back and forth to make it profitable, like a G6.
2: Jonah, I think you... Um, I think you have had a little bit too much time down there in the freezing cold of Antarctica.
0: Possibly just too much cold brew.
2: <laughs> no, it's been really good talking with you today, Jonah, and uh, getting to know a little bit more about you. And uh, thank you so much for not only all the healthcare that you've done and all the all the ways that you've impacted patient care, but I mean it's very evident through you pursuing your master's degree, your paramedic, your multiple certifications that. Continue education is very, very important to you. And so thank you for all that you do um, to promote lifelong learning as well. So it's been really, really great having you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great.
1: I want to take this time to thank Jonah for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Jonah, for sharing your experiences, your time and your passion with us. Welcome back to the US and we are grateful for the many ways you set an example for certified nurses everywhere that you go. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bringing new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I am Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.